Welcome to the Sport Feels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are serving our community and providing a variety of resources to grow and win as a team in the sports we play and the life we live. We are your hosts. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we're so excited to bring you all things Sport Feels Life. Hey, Ashley, how's it going? I'm actually really stressed out right now about my fall volleyball team. Oh, no. What's going on? Sports funding at our school is cut by 75% because of the pandemic. And now our players aren't going to have the equipment and uniform updates that we were hoping for. That does sound stressful, but have you heard about Team Connections' Team Store fundraising platform? I think it could really help you out this season. No, I actually haven't. Tell me more. Well, not only can you use this fundraiser to boost team spirit during these crazy times, but you can also customize merchandise on top brands with your team's logo to earn cash back for your program without even having to send your players out door to door to collect money or worrying about delivering orders. The Team Connection Team Store is a COVID-safe fundraising platform that can make a big difference for your team this year. Oh, wow. That sounds like exactly what I need. How do I get a team store set up? Setting up your own team store is easy and free. Simply go to teamconnection.com and select the team stores tab to learn more. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. I'm going right now. Today's guest is one of our favorites here at Sport Fuels Life, Craig Boynton. Craig is a USTA national coach in men's tennis. He has worked with players such as world number one, Jim Courier, Marty Fish, John Eisner, and Steve Johnson, and is currently coaching Poland's Hubie Hercats, who is ranked 29th in the world. Fun fact, there's already so much Craig wisdom over at sportfuelslife.com from an interview we did with him earlier this year, where he shared insights on how he balances being an elite globetrotting coach with being a father and husband, how good communication can be a real advantage, and my favorite, his theory on various freak factors that make certain pro players so special. If you haven't yet read those articles, I suggest you pause this episode and head over to our blog to check them out. They're not a prerequisite to listening to this conversation, but there's just so much goodness packed in there. So if you are a tennis coach, a player, or even just a super fan, you'll really love reading his features. And in today's episode, Craig discusses his approach to player evaluation and building a solid player foundation. There's so much wisdom tucked into this conversation, you guys are really going to love it. Without further ado, here's our conversation with professional tennis coach Craig Boynton. Hey Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to hear from you again. Oh my gosh, we're so honored to have you on today's show. Let's just dive right in. Let's talk about your approach to athlete evaluation and kind of what is your process and how has it evolved over the years? Good question. I have kind of two different stages of evaluation. One evaluation would be if my player is playing against that certain athlete. So I would evaluate them on a tennis basis, what they do well, what their weaknesses are, where can my opponent and my player best attack their opponent. But then when I start working with a player, and this is what I've learned over the years, and this is what I think can really help a lot of young coaches 
that are starting out because my expectations when I started, I, I'm saying I can help anybody reach in it. I got to help everybody become a Grand Slam champion. And so my expectations were, I believe in my players so much. I, I know that they can do it. But then, you know, I haven't been in a slam final. So then you would think, okay, well, that I, I failed and I haven't reached their potential. So I've come up with a grading scale before I really set an expectation for the players that I'm working with. I've got to have an idea of where their ceiling is, how, how, how far and how high they can go. So after getting to know them for a while, I have a five point um, grading scale and I give from one to 10. And the first one is self-confidence. How confident is, is this athlete in themselves and in their ability? And then the next one is self-driven, the ability to maximize. How much will they work without me telling them to work? How badly kind of, how really badly do they want success? The next one is how resilient they are, tough skinned. How quickly are they gonna get off bad moments? They got a bad line call, bad break is one bad point going to turn into four or five or do they just move on and hit the delete button and they're ready for the next point the next one is a problem solver how well can they play chess with a racket in their hand that comes down to the kind of the strategic aspect of it and the and the last one is the solid foundation the morals the family values where you know where was their upbringing what were they reinforced at home who were their coaches and what was their story and so this scale for me, if I was really honest and, and had a grading scale, no matter how good the player was, this scale for me determines how far they're going to go and how much I'm going to be able to push them. So it sets up my expectations. So I don't get caught in the, well, why aren't they doing better? Well, you know, what, what is it that I'm doing wrong? And then I start questioning myself. And then I, I, I try to do things maybe outside my lane that I shouldn't be doing to try to make up for this. So this is what I've learned. And I, I hope someone, a young coach, will be able to take this and implement it. And it, I think it will, they might get such gray hair, such, you know, you know, you're trying to worry about why aren't the athletes maximizing. I think those are some really good points, and I know you've noted so far that a major factor in the sport of tennis, as is the case with any sport, is mentality. With that being said, what role would you say pure athleticism plays in determining an athlete's potential versus those top qualities you just listed that circle back to how bad they want it, how hard they are willing to work, and their ability to adapt to run with any curveballs? Right. Well, they say hard work beats talent. And, you know, athleticism is an important piece of it. But athleticism will only take you so far. No matter how good you are, no matter how athletic you are, you're going to reach an area of people in the ranking that you're going to have to do more because what you have is not going to be good enough if you want to keep continuing to rise up. Now, if you're content and you don't you don't have some of those other things, then yeah, that will take you to a certain level. But if you really want to be great and do great things, you have to keep adapting and learning and being able to hit the curveball like you talked about. And not only not only planning for the curveball, but also recognizing when something is there that shouldn't be there. Now you've got the tools mentally to be able to adapt and adjust and pivot and be able to be successful regardless of what comes your way. Absolutely. 
And with that, do you have any go-to tools or effective interventions that you employ to correct performance flaws or where you see an athlete may not be performing up to the ability you believe they can? You know, the video never lies. And um, we're really kind of getting in, tennis is really getting to video-based coaching and analysis. So if there's anything on this list that goes goes haywire, or even you're working fundamentally or technically on a second serve or a forehand or whatnot, you can really break down the video and you can have the athlete look and see exactly what you're trying to communicate to the athlete. And it could be strategy. It could be a situation where someone's hitting the ball down the line and the down the line is open the person keeps going cross court and you can slow down the video because all you're trying to do is create this image in their mind, this picture in their mind. So when what you're talking about arises, it's not this, I've got to think about it so, so much. It's just a split second reaction because they see the picture and they're able to understand the picture with clarity through the video. Video is a, it never lies. That is so true. So speaking of using technology to enhance evaluation feedback, are there other systems or forms of smart equipment that you implement to assist you in player performance analyzation? Um, There are some that do that, but this also is based upon the athlete that you're working with because too much information can lead to the brain slowing down. And so there are certain technologies like PlaySmart that they have these courts set up with cameras all around the court and it measures your swing speed, it measures your ball rotation, it measures the miles per hour on your serve. And so these are very good tools for training and and be able to say, okay, from a hardware standpoint, how is the ball going through the air? How is it rotating? What's your percentage of your first serves when you serve at this miles per hour? Or be able to come up with a miles per hour range where the first serve percentage is the highest. So these type of cameras, this type of setup is is also very, very helpful in preparing the athlete to perform on training blocks and practice times. So you've mentioned, obviously, there's some perks to using this technology, as well as some pitfalls as far as too much information at once. What sort of rhythm do you prefer to utilize technology or film in practice and competitions for instant feedback versus waiting until the end of practice to review? So I'm a little bit old school in the fact that I feel that athletes need to feel, they've got to develop their own feel. And so the video for me is for them to help develop their feel. If the video becomes too much, where now they're so dependent on the video, then I feel that we've gone too far. So I'm always in that kind of that sweet spot between, listen, you have to develop these skills inside of you. We can talk about it and and we can go over it. And then to the point where here you're doing it right because the video, I try to limit the amount of times to watch video when they're doing something incorrectly because I feel that that might be a bit of a crutch and they're not learning it inside their mind and inside their they have to have this picture of what they're trying of they're trying to accomplish and when they do it right the picture's there and then when something goes wrong I can immediately talk to them and say tell me what's happening that yes you're right I got too close to the ball I crashed so so they have this picture that they can correct immediately so I I gear more to human to human first than human to technology 
I think that's probably how a lot of our high school coaches and college coaches are working too, because a lot of these smaller schools maybe don't have that kind of technology to work with anyways. Mm -hmm. So with that, um, how do you think evaluating someone like an elite tour player differs from evaluating, say, a super gifted high school or college athlete? So the tour players are usually pretty polished. They're on, they're making money, they're on the tour, they're playing the big tournaments, they've gotten through the developmental windows, they might have some small developmental windows on court, but maybe bigger ones with the resilience and toughness and being able to see the court. So the younger athletes, the developmental windows are bigger, and they're wide open. And so if I would take a, a player in high school, I'd like to get to know, as I do with all my my students, their personality type. How, how much do I need to be direct? How much do I need to be indirect? Are they type A? Are they type B? Do they need to be pushed? Do they need to be pulled? Uh, so then I can package the information in a way that it's easily digested for them. But I'll look at the athlete and say, okay, you've got to win 48 points at minimum to win a tennis match. I want to see what strengths you have, what athletic ability you have, what are going to be your positioning to win 48 points. And so then start working on the strengths, whether they're, uh, are they speed-based? Are they power-based? Are they finesse-based? Are they a certain volleyer? Are they an aggressive baseliner? Are they a counterpuncher? You can't really have a counterpuncher and have them ha be slow. Usually the slower athletes are the more powerful athletes when it comes to tennis. So more first strike, so they're not exposed to their, I wouldn't say lack of mobility, but slower mobility, if you will. So that's when, you, that's when I start assessing the hardware. And then the software, well, where do you want to go? What's your goal? Where do, and then based on their goal, based on where they want to go, then you get together training schedule and, and get to work and, and, and start developing weapons and start developing technique and start developing strategies and, and start trying to get them to learn to play chess on a tennis court. Yeah. And you just mentioned chess and it's kind of making me think back to like what we were talking about a few moments ago, just with the mental edge that certain competitors have. It seems like it's a common thread with most elite players that they do have an edge on their competition because they play a more proactive mental game. So I'm wondering, how do you navigate evaluation at the mental level to support an athlete to develop a stronger competition mentality? Well, first we have to find out where they are. And then most of the time on tennis, when I watch, when I watch tennis players, it's how many emotional decisions do they make? And usually emotional decisions are generally the wrong decisions. How, how much can they stay in the calm area and the critical thinking phase? Um, and I think you and I talked about last time when I started working with John and how just constant conversation. And back then, there wasn't a lot of video. It wasn't around, but it was a lot of conversation. And it was a, a lot of me being able to hold him accountable during those moments and me being able to stop and, 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 and go over our goal set mentally. And to John's credit, he picked up on that quickly and he made the shift quickly. He was terrific at that. And so, and it's a little difficult with tennis because you're not, you're not supposed to be coaching while, while they're playing. So, you, you know, you, you, as a tennis coach, you get the, the player ready for the first 45 minutes. And then after that, 
it's kind of on their own and you just are, you trust in the fact that they'll be able to, to, to make the right decisions under the most stressful times. So, you know, it starts out by seeing where they are emotionally and then lots of talking, lots and lots of talking. I love that. And it seems like your approach to coaching is not by any means a one size fits all model. Instead, you take into account each individual and their unique strengths. And I love how you mentioned in the article we featured on you previously that you identified those freak factors. Now, with that being said, when it comes to building a solid player foundation, do you believe there are any few key fundamentals for becoming an elite college or even a potential tour level player? You have to have weapons if you want to be successful at any kind of high level with tennis. You have to have weapons. And tennis is a sport of movement. It's a moving sport and it's a skill-based sport too. So movement would be paramount. That'd be the number one. You've got to be able to move. You look at the best players in the world, they're generally the best movers. And then you could build down from there is the men's side, first serve. Serve really dominates the men. And then not too many people are coming forward. So then it would be ground strokes. So if you have speed, you can serve well, you can hit good aggressive ground strokes, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. Now, then we shift into how good are you between the ears? Because at some, like I said, at some point, those three, those, those three levels that you're pretty good at are going to run into someone who can neutralize those three levels. And now it's going to be, all right, who holds their nerve better? So you go back to the hardware and the software. And, I, and I'm really happy that you picked up on my approach because everybody's different. Everyone's an individual and everyone needs to be treated differently. Everyone needs to be coached differently. Everyone needs to be talked to differently. And so I, I don't think I could ever write a book because, you know, I'm better one-on-one because there's no one size fits all with everyone. To, to my point, there are some players, Radu Alba from uh, Moldova. He doesn't have a great serve. He's got very good ground strokes. He doesn't have aggressive ground strokes. He's f- very quick, very fast but he wouldn't be your prototypical tennis player that you build from the ground up. But his skill set, his freak factor, the one or two things he does well, he does very well. He's had a, before all this mess happened, he was having a very, very good couple of years. This is all such great information. I can't wait for our listeners to hear because I think it's going to help them so much. And to that point, Craig, imagine you are speaking to a crowd of 10,000 coaches and athletes. Do you have any words of wisdom to help their team or players excel? The thing that I learned for me, the first rule of coaching is it's not about CB. It's not about me. When I walk into a room, I want them to feel like I am 100% engrossed in them. And it's not about me. It's not about my way or the highway. It's about your way, finding your way. And then I tell young coaches, the second rule of coaching is if you ever get confused, revert back to rule number one. And with the coaching, the different generations, coaching now takes longer. It really takes longer because these kids don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so that's trust. It's a lot different than, say, when I was growing up, the coach came in, I'm the coach. This is what we're doing because I'm the coach. Okay, you're the coach. You said that, you know, and it's not that way anymore. It's just not that way anymore. There are best coaches in the world that their, their message isn't being heard because the kids don't know that they care. 
And so what I would say to the coaches is what I've learned is I've come up with a kind of five stages of coaching. Stage one is trust. The player has to trust the coach. The player has to know that the coach is there for 100% in the athlete's best interest. After that, then stage two is where the coach can develop a structure for the athlete, an organized structure to be implemented based upon game style, based upon uh, physical attributes, based upon the grading scale that I said earlier. Best way to maximize the athlete's ability. Then the stage three is accountability. The coach is able to keep the player accountable based upon the trust. I know you're in my best interest. When I come to you and tell you I'm disappointed, I know you can do better. I'm not just digging into you. I'm telling you because I love you and I trust that you can be great. You can do better. Or the accountability in that you can work harder. This, these, whatever it is, the accountability is there and the coach keeps the player accountable. Stage four is accountability, but the other way. The player now has reached a point where the player keeps him, him or herself accountable because these, these stages have developed layers and now the athlete can see evolution. Because this is basically what coaching is. You're trying to evolve a person, a player from A to on down the line. This is where the coach might not have to say as much, but the athlete will be giving more feedback on their performance, on their preparation. I've had times during this stage where I look at my player and he would finish my sentences. Do you know on that one? I got it. Yep, you're right. But there, yeah, I saw that too. But next, yeah, I got it. I got it. And that's the, that, that's a fun stage. That's a real fun stage because now the work is being put in. And then the last stage is management where the coach is there to help manage the player, keep the player on track, might be small adjustments, lots of dialogue back and forth uh, or little dialogue back and forth, depending on what's needed. And this is a fun stage because this is where growth is just like, bing, bing, you know, just growing and growing and growing. And so however long these stages take is however long it takes with the athletes today. I go at a very slow pace, try to be very patient because I know for me, I can't rush any of these stages. They just kind of happen organically and some happen faster than others. I've been fortunate enough and so the guys that I worked with, we already had the trust because I already knew them prior to work. So they already knew me, they already knew my deal. And so I was able to kind of blow through some of these stages quicker. But with some of them, like Hubie, I didn't, I didn't know Hubie before we started working together, but the trust just happened like that. And so I would say going into coaching, it's just not, you know, I'm going to get a bag of balls and throw out the balls. I got a whistle or whatnot. I mean, you really need to have a plan and understand the athletes that you're working with and understand that they might not be putting in a bad effort because they don't, they don't want to. They might have other issues going on. And this is where you've got to really kind of understand and, and get an evaluation of them prior to really diving in and trying to help them reach their goals. That's so true. Let's talk more about the trust piece, just because, you know, a lot of these high school and college coaches, they're getting kids, they're seeing them for like four or maybe five years in the college case. What are some ways in which they could work toward building that trust with their athletes? I think it's how you communicate as one. I think if you ask questions and listen, I think if you do most of the time trying to get them to open up and talk and they feel comfortable with you, how you present yourself, the tone of voice in which you talk, the expectations with you where you, you sit down and have a mutual trust, 
you can lay the expectations out and, and just being honest, being honest and open. And the more that you can have the players really confide in you and talk to you about their goals, about who they are. And I, I always kind of felt like I did the best work if I was able to mentor, help mentor my players. So if they see you as a mentor, if they see you as someone that what well, you'll be around for the rest of their life, someone that, you know, there's a saying, it says, you know, people don't remember the drills you did. They remember how you treated them. And so I'm hopeful that down the line, all the people that I worked with, they're not going to re really remember what drills I did, but they're like, yeah, CB really cared. He really cared. And he, he tried his best for me. And I think if you, you start day one with that and you build on that and you're consistent with that, that will drive the trust piece pretty quickly. That's such a good way to wrap this up. I feel like um, <laughs> everyone just needs to understand the beauty in listening and really hearing each other and supporting each other. And yeah, man, we're just so grateful for your time. Oh, thank you. This is so, this is my pleasure. I'm having a blast. What a great guy. What I loved most about this conversation was the value of really listening to his players, identifying their style, and making his work with them customized to who they are as an individual, and making sure that kids you're coaching know that you as a coach care. So inspiring. Absolutely. I think his point about too much information can actually do the opposite and slow you down was really insightful too. It's probably true for real life as well. Information overload is so real. Oh my gosh, yes it is, seriously. Well, as always guys, we are so grateful that you took time out of your day to come and listen to our show. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so others can find us more easily. It really means a lot to us and it helps us get the word out. Yes, and we're always looking for new stories to share here on our show. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tell us their story by nominating them at our website, sportfieldlife.com. Thanks for listening. 